0: The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. Words are magical things. Words when spoken out loud in performance, well, they can and often are like music. When rhythm and timbre and pitch and pace are added to the delivery of words, well, they're like notes of music. Words, whether spoken, read or thought, also play a very important role. Uh, inside our brain. They ignite a complex series of neural circuits that bring meaning to the words that we think of and read and share and they, you know, give us ideas and thoughts that shape our world. Words can be, and I find, they are often fun under themselves. I like pulling together the little word combinations like cantankerous old curmudgeon, which oddly and in a contradictory way is fun to do. Jonathan Berkowitz, the author of The World of Words and Tales from the Word Guy, talks about how much fun language is. He says he came from a home where life was salted with stories, and peppered with puns, each delivered with relish. That's just fun on its own. Words are a part of every language. For the purposes of this interview, though, the focus is on English. Partly because it's a global, but mostly because it's a really welcoming language. Berkowitz, in a chapter called The Birds and the Bees, Where Do Words Come From, says, well, English words come from everywhere. They're created, they emerge, adopted, and sometimes liberated. I invited Jonathan Berkowitz to join me for a conversation that matters about the magic, the mystery, and the power of words. They really are powerful, aren't they?
1: They really are. Uh, It's words are are communication. Uh, They are filled with meaning, but they're also filled with patterns. Uh, And we enjoy both aspects uh, of words that way, whether uh, we're using them to communicate ideas or whether we are looking at them as having what was described as um, free floating patterns, uh, little morsels of pattern on a sea of randomness. So we use them both ways. So how did English get
0: to be such a magical language? Because in the you know the global community of languages, English isn't like the oldest one around.
1: Correct. It started as a very small uh, a small number of speakers on little islands uh, <laughs> uh, off the uh, west side of of uh, Europe. and a number of things happened uh, over the over the course of history that allowed it to grow, uh, not the least of which was uh, conquest and exploration, industrial revolution, all uh, various uh, uh, other cultures and groups coming over to England, bringing with them their language, adding it to English. So it became then exportable. (laughs) <laughs> and it hasn't, it hasn't stopped, it has continued to do that. Uh,
0: so it's my understanding that it was sort of a combination of the Anglos, the Saxons, and the Jutes, originally that started to have this language that kind of grew out of like, their place in society, which was not high society. Uh, Correct. It was a function of them being able to figure out how to communicate with one another.
1: Right, so English is at its, uh, at its heart a Germanic language, um, but it borrowed and adopted Uh, all of the Romance languages. So the Norman Conquest brought everything over. Uh, Latin and Greek influences uh, also uh, came across. So when you say, well, is English a Romance language? Well, it's Romantic uh, and it has a lot of Romance uh, influence, but it was at heart something different. And you can see the difference when you look at words like uh, home or house versus domicile. Mm -hmm. And you say the longer words are borrowed, the short words that we use for much of our communication are actually the original words.
0: Well, I find it interesting when we talk about food. We'll talk about chicken or poultry. <laughs> huh? Well, where did we get this? And to me, it's a combination of French and English coming it is. together.
1: And it's also a class structure. So uh, you don't eat cow, you would have beef. So uh, you don't eat pig, you mm-hmm. would eat uh, pork or, mm-hmm. or, or bacon. Same is true. You don't eat sheep, you'd have mutton. Uh, Where did this come from? Well, there was a a, a gap between those who were raising the animals and those who were eating the food that was prepared for it. So at the upper class tables, there would be the French, the Norman conquest words that came in to to describe what they were eating, different from where the sources were. How many words are there in the English language? (laughs) I was hoping you would ask the question. That is is, uh, an unanswerable question. Because it starts with the, what what is the definition of word? And that is also a a difficult uh, uh, question to answer. It's defined as probably a string of characters that uh, has meaning to enough people. And so that opens things up to any collection of letters uh, and maybe some other little characters, like hyphens and so on. But if it has enough meaning to people, or to, if it has meaning to enough people, it becomes a word. So I could ask you, when you type uh, BTW uh, in, a, in a message, is that a word? Everybody knows what it means. Yeah. You say, well, it's not a word because it's, uh, it's an acronym or technically an initialism. But it means something, right. same with LOL. So what is a word is a difficult question to answer. And uh, best estimates are between a million and two million.
0: Between a million and two million, I thought it was only at somewhere around a million, which I know only a sliver
1: of. Then it depends if you add in uh, (coughs) scientific words, medical words, chemical words, all of these very technical sounding words, which are words. uh, We don't use them except in (coughs) in very uh, specialized circumstances. The probably working vocabulary of most people is tens of thousands of words. (laughs) <laughs> when you
0: talk about that I go oh but that's the vernacular of that sector and just thinking about how much fun it is to be able to say the vernacular of that group um, is interesting in, in itself because as you say a word if it's communicating an
1: idea to enough people then it constitutes a word correct yes, yes. there is a project to try to list all of the words in the English language uh, uh, and it's uh, it's making halting progress. If you look at dictionaries and say, well, if it's not in the dictionary, it's not a word. And that is incorrect because dictionaries are reporting uh, what is being used in language, but they're certainly uh, trailing. There's a lag. They're laggards. <laughs> and especially if it's print. I mean, yeah. the latest uh, or the most recent Merriam-Webster collegiate is the 11th edition, and that's 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. So it's out of date. It's out of date, yes. which
0: is remarkable um because this is one of the so-called uh
1: resources that so often we go to to confirm that we've got the right word right so there are online dictionaries and Mm -hmm. in fact merriam-webster online is now supplanted the uh uh, the print editions even in our national puzzlers league we now use the online as the main main reference the biggest dictionaries uh, again it depends how you define size so if you said the most individual words. It would probably still be the Merriam-Webster New International Dictionary, second edition, but that's from the 1930s. Uh, And it had approximately 450,000 words. So it's also got more words than anything else or any other dictionaries, but it doesn't have them all. Got to get you to hang on for a second while we take a quick
0: commercial break. We'll be right back. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following, and viewers like you. Hmm. So, I, I'm always fascinated by the etymology of words, and I even got thinking, what's the etymology of the word etymology? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and, can, and, and to me, that's fun with that words. Is. Yeah. Uh, it is. Mm. Well, I could say the thing is uh, that etymology gives you insight into a word. Uh, Oh, the th- uh, thing is. Actually, if you rearrange the letters of thing is, you get insight, which ah. is kind of cool. Now, you could look up the word thing, uh, and you discover that it meant an assembly. So it's actually a gathering. It isn't one individual. It now, has, now, it now means something completely different from what it, uh, it used to mean. My favorite uh, etymological oddity is the word nice. If mm. you say, that's nice it actually means you don't have a clue what you're talking about because it comes from the Latin word nesiri, meaning to be ignorant of. So (laughs) ignorance is bliss. If somebody (laughs) says, oh, you look nice, they don't know what they're they're saying. Uh, That's my favorite contradictory one. But my favorite aha moment is to discover the connection between text and textile. So (laughs) we write and read texts all the time. We write texts. Um, To us, it means word. But Mm -hmm. textile is material, but if you look at those two words, you say, there must be something in common. What is it? And it's the Latin root, texere, T-E-X-E-R-E, which means woven or to weave. And that's a beautiful discovery, because whether you are weaving with fabric, with materials, with the warp and weft, uh, or with words and the letters that make up the words, you are weaving. And isn't that a beautiful discovery? <laughs> well, I find it fun.
0: But there are going to be people
1: who go, oh, who cares? Why should we care about this? If you encounter somebody who says, I just came back from a workout, my response to them is, mental or physical? And 99 point, I don't know how many uh, nine decimals there would be after that, a percent of the respondents will say, physical, of course. but. The brain is um, equally important as uh, something that needs exercising. Words are the way we do that. So whether we read them, whether we write them, whether we play with them, however we engage with them, it fires the neurons. Uh, there's a saying, a version of a saying, uh, cells that fire together wire together. Mm-hmm. So it, it improves our, our memory, our vocabulary, our communication skills, our perceptual skills, our reasoning skills, creativity, logic. All of that comes from studying and being aware of words. And the other reason I would say why it matters, we ask people, what's your story? Mm -hmm. Where do you come from? And we learn fascinating things about them. And at the same time, we learn about ourselves. The same is true with words. If you look up where a word comes from, you discover it has a story. How did it get to the language? Why is it spelled the way it, it, uh, uh, it is? When did it enter the language? Under what circumstances? What was going on in the world? It has a story. And you learn about the history of civilization as you look at how words developed. This is our second break. We'll be back in a moment.
0: The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. It's quite something, because words also uh, reflect the ability to think, express, Mm -hmm. work together. Uh, They say so much
1: about the person
0: who uses them.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, In our conversation, neither of us will use the word amazing, which has, has supplanted, has replaced, well, maybe it's that people don't know what a thesaurus is and they've never bothered to look it up, but the world seems to be filled with people who were walking around in a complete daze, just amazed by everything. Mm-hmm. Why not find a word that has the right nuance and the right meaning for what you're trying to describe? So that's the, uh, I think that's the, uh, the lack of uh, awareness of uh, that, uh, that sense of communication. But I'd, I'd go a step further. Looking at language and looking at the words that make up uh, the sentences and the letters that make up the words enhances your ability to recognize patterns. And to me, pattern recognition is the hallmark of human intelligence. You need it in medicine to recognize symptoms, in law to recognize patterns of evidence, uh, art, music, mathematics, uh, any kind of writing, it's pattern recognition. So when you look at a word, uh, if you're trying to write a song lyric, you recognize the stresses and the number of syllables and whether it rhymes. If you are um, (coughs) figuring out how to spell it correctly or what words might it be related to, or perhaps it's a word that you don't know the definition of, can you take it apart? So this idea of recognizing patterns by, uh, or practicing pattern recognition by looking at words, uh, is valuable in in our intellectual development. I mean, I'm looking at the screen behind you and I see the word uh, the title, Conversations That Matter, and so you think about the word matter, and you say, well, um, words that end in ERs are, are adjectives, they're comparatives, um, but they are also, um, in the days when we uh, were not so gender aware about uh, roles, there was a waiter and a waitress. So the ER meant the male version, the ESS meant the female version. So would a matter a female matter be a mattress. <laughs> right. Or if I look at the word conversations and I, I say yeah. ah this is an example of what's called a metathesis, that if I flip the uh, two letters I get a new word. So this is one of the longest ones that exists because conversation flipping the the V and the S becomes uh, uh, conservation. And so those are the patterns that uh, that you, you notice. And I, I can go, yeah. may I go one step further with, with, uh, your, with your name? Yeah. Look, look at your first name, Stuart. Well, that's a beautiful name. Uh, first of all, it's obviously got art in it. Yes. Uh, but the S-T-U are three consecutive letters in the alphabet. And if you see something addressed to Mr. Stuart McNish, now you've got the R-S-T-U. And that's a rare string yeah. of, of letters in the, in the alphabet. Uh, letters are related to numbers. Uh, if you apply codes, uh, hidden messages in language, hidden messages uh, that use uh, any kind of coding scheme, and if we applied uh, A equals one up to Z being twenty-six, then uh, McNish has a value of—I worked this out as I walked over—it <laughs> uh, has a value of sixty-six. Well, how many name? How many letters are in your first name? Six. Six. And how mm-hmm. many in your second na- or your last name? Six. Six. There's the sixty-six. And you say, okay, well, what about uh, Stuart? And that turns out to be 99, which is 66 upside down. And one <laughs> more thing I can do with your name. I'm, I'm not sure if you are a fan of Christmas or uh, it's a more of a humbug situation for you, mm. but either way, Stuart McNish can be rearranged to spell Christmas Nut. <laughs> can also be rearranged <laughs> to spell Truth, which is lovely as a uh, as a, a, way of playing. And tying that to the person, now you've, you've recognized some aspect about them and you've made the words fun. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, I find it interesting doing crosswords, you know, uh, the only naturally occurring name in the alphabet. Oh, I know that one, S-T-U. Um, and There it is. Uh, But that then brings us to puzzling. Mm -hmm. What's the benefit of puzzling in helping us to be able to appreciate words, their places, and that can give us a richness uh, in our vocabulary and our thinking that we wouldn't get
1: just through reading? Puzzling allows you to incorporate new material, uh, new information with what's already in your memory to then create something brand new from that. So the, uh, what you learn by puzzling uh, are problem solving skills, lateral thinking, how do you get off the track that you happen to be stuck on? Uh, we say in my professional field, if there's only one way that you can see to interpret the data, you're probably wrong. And so puzzle solving gives you that flexibility of thought uh, how to look at things from, from different angles. Uh, but it teaches you all of the, or it, it, it enhances, we think, uh, all of the different aspects of brain function. Mm-hmm. And so it is the mental workout that I referred to earlier that most people don't, uh, don't do. They concentrate only on the physical. So
0: many people, though, go, mm, I don't like puzzles. Uh, they get to uh, a point where they go, I just don't know that and then they give up. And, and I try to point out that, well, maybe you don't know the rules.
1: Correct. Uh, so what exactly are the rules of crossword puzzles? Uh, the rules. The rules are really that anything is, is fair game. You can use all kinds of resources to, to solve. Uh, there are some art forms uh, to different puzzle types, uh, but the, the main thing is think about, uh, think about the uh, the source material. Where did where did the puzzle come from? First of all, it's really nice to know that in life, where there are very few answers, with puzzles there is an answer. So it's it's really very reassuring to know that you're encountering something <laughs> with an answer. The same people who say yeah. they don't want to do puzzles, they love mysteries. They'll right. do jigsaw puzzles. They will do all kind. They'll they'll mm-hmm. do things that they don't realize are puzzles. If it happens to be something about a word, they say, oh, I can't do this. But uh, they just haven't tried. Third and final break. We'll be right back.
0: The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. You know, <laughs> the other night we had uh, Kevin Falcon, the leader of the BC Liberal Party in here. And it turns out that he likes to solve crossword puzzles and I learned this and, and said to him, so I understand you're a cruciverbalist." and he went, a what? <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> I said, crucible, <laughs> verbalist, crossword. Oh, and what it was, there was this magic little moment of recognition of like, oh, okay, got it. Like, and and that, that to
1: me is part of the magic of doing puzzles. It is. It, they're incredibly satisfying. There's that aha moment that comes from from finding the answer. Uh, I always like to point out <clears throat> that puzzle constructors. Uh, this is probably the only competition where the uh, where one side wants to lose. If losing means that you solved my puzzle, right? I can create a puzzle that nobody can solve. Well, that's not fun for them. It's yeah. not fun for me.
0: So right. You the, want the, you want correct. the user to be able to find
1: the answer. Right. And when people say, I'm not good at puzzles, <coughs> I point out that maybe they have a very narrow view of what that is. Uh, and if you broaden, uh, you broaden your definition or broaden the, the description of kinds of puzzles there are, um, they don't have to be written down. They can be thought, uh, thought puzzles. You can do them uh, anywhere. And I, I could one of my favorites uh, to say is, well, if you spell numbers as words, O-N-E for one, T-W-O, of the infinite number of numbers, only one has the letters in alphabetical order. Mm. And there's a small solvable puzzle for people. It doesn't require anything special except to think about the numbers, go through the the alphabet uh, and discover uh, the answer. And the answer is 40. And that brings up then the following question. What happened to the U? because there's a u in 4 there's no u in 14 and now you start to see how language changes how spelling changes <coughs> and then you might ask the question well why in canada do we spell words like honor and labor o u r they don't in the us they do in britain mm-hmm. and you've now gone uh, from that one little question that little puzzle on an exploration of language so
0: well an exploration of self too yes And I think that that really is so much the power of this. You find out uh, what your appetite is to find answers to things, Mm -hmm. uh, how willing you are to stick with it, uh, how... And I love this about crossword puzzles. You can be looking at something and you're going, it's not there, it's not there. You pick up the same crossword puzzle the, the next day, and suddenly you just go boom, 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 boom. You answer four of them, and you think, how come I didn't see it before? Right. Because it ignites something that happens in your brain, and it keeps working to find it's the subliminally, answer. Subliminally, yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, and you can go to bed with uh, a puzzle or a life, a life problem unsolved, and you wake up with complete clarity in, in the morning. If somebody shows you the answer, uh, you go, pfft. Uh, I should have thought of that. Uh, a, a term that I, I coined for that is post hoc obvious. Somebody shows you, shows you the answer. Uh, it, here's one other example. It, it enhances your listening skills. So if I said to you, take the word bead, B-E-A-D, and add one H somewhere in the middle of the word, to, uh, what, what new word could you spell? And you don't have to rearrange the letters. And when I asked this, I'm well, I no. wouldn't have, uh, no. that needs another, it's not really a word. It doesn't
0: quite oh, work. Oh, come on. Not yet, maybe it will be a word. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps, actually yeah. maybe, I this should say that. Di- yeah. Maybe
1: it's in your dictionary, yeah. your personal dictionary. Um, I was had, I was be had. Were, you were be had, <laughs> yeah. it could work, yeah. it could work. I'll have to revise this. Um, <laughs> but it tests people's listening skills because I'll ask them to repeat the uh, question back. And they'll say, well, you take the word bead you add an H. I said no that's not what I said. I specifically said add one H. Mm -hmm. Well how do you spell one? O-N-E. And if you put O-N-E and H in the word bead you get bonehead which is how they feel. But, But what this does is to say part of communication and a huge amount of communication is listening. So what the speaker spoke or what the writer wrote is that what the reader reads or the listener uh, here's. Isn't that the difference between implied and inferred? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, yes, often often confused. Yes, often confused. Thank you very much. Great pleasure. It, just so much fun.